I thought, uh, Dad's Day, I'm going to preach on fatherhood, but I can't start without some dad jokes. You want some dad jokes? Okay, okay. I had a dream last night that I was a muffler. Gee, I woke up exhausted. Archaeology is really a career in ruins. Did you know you can't run through a campsite? You can only ran because it's past tense. Some of you are just going, what? That's okay. How does a penguin build his house? He glues it together. Right, okay, right. We, we get, I know it's painful. Like my kids now, my grandkids, they always say to me, Poppy, your jokes are sick. They're causing us pain. I said, exactly. And some of my grandkids say, but I don't get them. Exactly. That's, that's, see, I'm laughing when I'm doing them because you're not getting them. Anyway, that's just the torture of a father. Why don't skeletons go trick-and-treating? Because they have no body to go with. Okay, right, we'll, 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 we'll stop there. Okay, we'll, we'll, I can see it's, it's going to, it's, yes, okay. Let's talk about fatherhood. Should we do that? Are you having fun today? I find this really interesting, and I thought when I was asked to speak on this, I thought, wow, what a timely message. Not just for fatherhood, but for motherhood. Like, we live in a culture today where no one wants to define anything. And, and so what happens is we end up exhausted or bereft of the truth because no one wants to be definitive anymore. It's weird, isn't it? So, so now they're saying, you can't say mother or woman, you've got to say a person with a womb. I mean, how degrading. I didn't marry a womb. I mean, you know, it's so the same as with manhood. So now, uh, defining manhood or fatherhood, no, no one wants to talk about it. Hey, you know the Bible's full of it. <laughs> Bible talks about all of this clearly and precisely. And, and so today we're thinking about Father's Day. And we pride ourselves that we're an egalitarian society. We're all equal. I saw a sticker the other day, and maybe it's just my brain, and it said girls can do anything. I thought, no, they can't. I can think about a dozen things. And I started listing off and things like driving behind this woman in a car. Girls can do anything. I thought, no, you can't. And I just started to think of these things, you know. I thought, see? <laughs> Of course girls can do anything in the sense, you know, they can drive a car, they can... But there's a lot of things women can't do. But you know the other thing I've discovered, there's a lot of things men can't do. I can't find my socks. (laughs) 
I can spot a deer a thousand to two thousand meters away. I can't find the butter in the fridge. And this is how hopeless I am. I even need my wife to find it for me. There it is. And you know what she did recently? She changed the brand. So I'm looking for that New Zealand mainland butter, you know, with the orange. And now she's changing. She gets the stuff in paper. She says, here it is. No, it's not. It's different. Anyway, so. We're not the same. Dad, listen to me. You are exceptional to your family. There are things that you bring to your wife, your children, and to your church family and to people around you that no one else can bring. Only a dad can bring it. And we just got to get over the thing that we can all do it. No, no. You're a dad. Be one. We're not different. I find it really interesting how God chose to reveal himself mostly in the Bible as a father. You know, in other places, he actually calls himself a mother. And Jesus even referred to that spiritually. He looked over Jerusalem and he wept and he said, oh, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen. And he said, that's the heart of God because God's neither male nor female, right? Right? But, but he created us male and female, and he presents himself mainly in the Bible as a father. Why is that? Have you, have you wondered about that? So, so obviously in today's world, it's because he's misogynist or whatever, you know, and he's discriminatory. But it's got nothing to do with that. It's about a spiritual communication that he's using natural language to converse with us. So... He, he, he reveals this to us. Then we go into the New Testament and you find this whole idea of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, people like Paul and um, Barnabas, uh, great examples. Then you find spiritual mums all through the New Testament. It's amazing. Junius the Apostle, and you see um, Aquila's uh, wife Priscilla, a great preacher and teacher and a mother to many. So you see this idea of parenting in the Bible, which is really interesting. And, and so he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers for I became your father in Christ through the gospel. So what God is trying to put across here is not a sexist view or a male versus female view, but rather a spiritual idea that God imparts spiritual DNA to his spiritual children. So that's why he depicts that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Early church fathers picked this up and said this, you can't have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother. That's a profound statement. It says for both working together, right? 
But Paul speaks to Timothy, or rather to um, the Corinthians, and he's saying, I'm admonishing you as a father. We see this in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. It will come to pass afterwards that I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And so again, we see the synergy of the old men dreaming, carrying the dream, and the young men and women envisaging that dream and interpreting it and prophesying it. Amazing, working together. It's amazing, the scriptures. I love it. Then Malachi finishes the Bible of the Old Testament through the dark years, and the last prophecy of the Old Testament is about fathers. He said, see, I will send the prophet Elijah prophesying about John the Baptist, and he says, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This is the burden of the heart of God, that fathers and children would be, would be united together. It's amazing. So fathers that we're focusing on today were created by God to bring a certain set of skills, abilities, and nature into the hearts and lives of children. I'm going to say a pretty bold thing. Mothers can't provide this. They can, they can provide to a certain degree, but it's, it's the gifts upon the fathers. Now, here's the thing. Don't you see the importance of the church? Because we live in a world where single families are on the rise. And isn't it great, and I was brought up in a single family, I know all about it, but isn't it great that a single family can come in here, maybe a single mum, you know what I mean, with kids, and there's dads everywhere. There's, there's spiritual dads that are going to speak into their life and provide a correct model. I, I find that incredible. And this is what he talks about. See, he says you have 10,000 teachers, but you don't have many fathers. It's an amazing statement. I think the greatest gift that a father can give a child is a dream. The sense that that child could be great, that that child could actually have a destiny. Isn't that amazing? And from that, comes these great words that are important in human nature, like identity, security, and confidence, right? A child with a dream is a child with a picture on the inside that never leaves them. This child knows who they are, they know where they're going, and they know they can have a go at anything. Wow, what a great... Confidence, a great skill or a great value to have in a child. We know the old saying, the poorest of all people are those without a dream. And you know the sad thing today, you don't have to travel far, you meet young people 
in their late teens, early 20s, it's they're finished, they're cynical, they're anti-society, angry. Why? They haven't got a dream. Because probably a father hasn't spoken or prophesied a dream into them for greatness. Maybe they've been let down by their natural dads. But you know, that doesn't have to be the reality. And we heard the great testimony this morning, how God can change the heart of a man, a father. God's the, God's the God of the new beginnings. Come on, do you believe it? The great example in the Bible, of course, is Jacob. He had a son, Joseph, and he loved him. And he imparted to him a dream, and he just dreamed. He had this dream, I'm going to rule. Now, you've got to understand, he's the youngest. And in that society, the youngest never ruled over the elder. But he just began to speak the dream. I just saw all the stars bowing down, meaning his brothers. Even the sun and the moon bowed down. That's his father and mother. But you see, the father didn't stop him. He gave him a coat. He dressed him according to the dream. So that's what fathers are to do. We're to provide an environment that dresses our children for their dream. Through words of encouragement, through resourcing. It's amazing. And we find him just assured of Jacob's love. He was resourced from his father. He got given the coat, right? And then he had this dream of greatness. And the story of Jacob is an incredible dream. How, a story rather, how the coat was taken and his life was stripped from him, but the dream was still in him. So you can't, you can kill the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream. Because a dream imparted from a father is a spiritual quality that would never leave. And it might be hazy. It might look as though it's not going to happen. But you mark my words, to impart a spiritual dream into the life of a person is just gold. Because it will stay the test of time. It will hold us when things go wrong, when we're going through trials. We'll still believe God because this dream, this intangible picture on the inside will stay with us. You see, spiritual fathers impart great dreams into the hearts of the children in the church. To Timothy, my beloved son, he said, grace and mercy and peace. When I call into remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother and your mother, Eunice. So here are, here are two women in the church, and there's no mention of his father, and now the power of the church, Paul becomes this fatherly figure, the spirit. Isn't that awesome? What a great picture. He says, and I'm persuaded it's in you too. Awesome, isn't it? He says, therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Fathers, we've got to lay hands on people, impart to our children, to the children in the church, impart greatness. Oh, young people today, they're not like our day. Stop it. Oh, young people today, they're not this, they're not that. Stop it. Fathers, we need to be saying, you're awesome. 
You can be what God's called you to be. I actually see a prophet in you. I actually see a teacher. Have you ever thought about going in business? Man, you're awesome. Let me help you. That's fatherhood. That's father. Here's Paul. It's written in the Bible. He viewed Timothy as his son, Titus. He writes to Titus and he said, I write to Titus, my true son in the faith, I think it says. So if Paul didn't see the church as a, corpor- a corporation, he saw it as a family. Church. We might have business, we might have structures, we might have position, but let, let's never forget the main picture in the Bible of the church is a family. Spiritual mums and dads, spiritual children, growing in the grace of God and in the knowledge of God with a dream in our heart. You know the grace, just finish with this. I reckon the greatest declaration of fatherhood is from the father to the son at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. (laughs) Man, it's awesome. This, this is, he recognized, this is my son. Well, I don't know who my son is, but I know he said, this is my son. Awesome. My, this is my son. Belonging, connection, covenanted responsibility. Beloved, it's affection. It's love and care. My beloved son. Notice he doesn't say child. He's now a son. Why? He's ready in his maturity to fulfill the will of the Father and to carry on the family business on earth. He's no longer a child who needs guidance and discipline. He's now a son who can stand in the values and the virtues of his Father. In whom? Not just by whom. See, 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 notice it's not a corporation. This is my son by whom I'm going to save the world. No, he said, this is my beloved in whom. God always incarnates his will. He always works through people. And he recognizes, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's personally taking pleasure in watching his son excel. I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. Amen. Do you believe that? Oh, man. You see, there's many teachers, professional, short-term, educate, inform, and train, but not fathers. He said, I've begotten you. I've got a feeling this is the main reason why God may have presented himself as a father to us that we're not just joining a religious club. We're not just signing up on the dream team. We're begotten. Isn't that amazing? We're begotten. Wow. By our heavenly Father. It's so powerful. And the Father is to invest in the child, to believe in the child, to discipline the child, to chart their life and their course, to help the child and protect, to transfer a heritage to the child. There's no greater thing. An inheritance, you know, that's okay. But a heritage, that's something far more valuable. An inheritance is just money and stuff. 
But you know, you can be the richest person on earth and be the meanest and the most selfish and the most poorest of spirit. But a heritage, a biblical revelation, a church, a family, it's so powerful, isn't it? I love it. How does it begin? How, how do I tap into this? You, you might be at church here for the first time. Maybe you've been coming a while. Are you trying to work it out? And we always think in terms of joining the church. But I want you to see this morning that God presents himself to us as the father who's going to be at us. He's, we're going to be begotten of God. In other words, birthed. Wow. The spiritual code, DNA, of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it's, it's passed on. And then we can see the power of the motherhood in the church, how the church, we're all to be like a mother to see that birth happen. Isn't that marvelous and working together? And that's another subject for another day. But how does it begin? Well, the Bible says, as many as received him, that's Christ, to those he gave the power to become a child of God. Christianity isn't a theology, even though theology exists. Christianity isn't an organization, even though the church organization exists and you can see it. The heart of Christianity is we become children of God. It's a family connection. And that happens when we receive Christ. And becoming a Christian isn't just a decision. It is, that's where it starts. But it says he gives them power, dunamis. You see, the Christian life can only be entered into supernaturally, and it can only be lived supernaturally. Otherwise, it's religion. It's, it's dead works. So it begins when we say yes to Jesus, I open my heart and I let you in. Please, Lord, make me your child. We pray this, don't we? And what will happen to you is you pray that prayer, the power of the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will find yourself empowered to leave your old life. We heard the testimony this morning. Once our friend connected into the power of God, his whole life changed. See, that's what we're talking about. Why don't we bow our heads in the presence of God, close our eyes. If you're online, you can do this too, right where you are. And maybe in this meeting this morning, you'll find yourself of one or two positions. Either, number one, you've never invited Christ into your life. Or number two, you have, but you've drifted. You've let things slip and you find yourself in church but not part of the church and you've lost your power. You know, this morning you can come back. And one of the great lies that we believe is that God is so far away. The truth of it, he's right here now. He's never left you nor forsaken you. But because of our unbelief and our sin, we can't see him, but he's there. Therefore, to receive Jesus for the first time or to come back is simply a prayer away. 
Let's pray this all together, shall we? And if you're praying this for the first time, just put your hand on your heart or you're coming back to Jesus, put your hand on your heart and say, yes, Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I open the door of my heart and I invite you in. I turn from sin and everything that displeases you. By the power of your spirit, forgive me, wash me, make me whole, make me your child. I declare that Jesus, you are now my Lord and Savior. I promise to live for you and serve you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Who prayed that for the first time? Or maybe you're coming back this morning. Just give me a wave. And maybe you're online and you did that. You can connect with somebody and they'll get in touch with you. Well, we've run out of time. Thank you for this. It's been a wonderful morning. And just remember, dads, keep smiling. And just remember... Dad is spelt S-L-A-V-E. God bless you.